Tuesday, everybody, and Happy New Year. Welcome to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. Follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. Follow me at the Dan Urban. Follow the podcast at Couchside Judges and subscribe to us wherever you listen. And if you like this show, give us that five-star review. You can do it on Spotify now. I just did it. <laughs> and as always, we talk judging in MMA. I mean, maybe not so much today, but uh, you should learn the criteria at abcboxing.com. That's right, Dan. Today we are going to talk about no judging at all. We're, we're anti-judging today. <laughs> I mean, it's not entirely true. We are at the start of the new year. Welcome to 2022. Hope everybody has been uh, healthy and safe uh, to the best of your abilities in these Omicron times. But uh, we will uh, be talking about a little bit of kind of closing the door on 2021 still. Dan, we're going to hand out the judges. Let's do it. That. We've been talking about these throughout the year. We did it last year. It's a lot of fun. I hope everybody got their awards last year. If they're not, they're still in the mail or they were stolen. (laughs) Uh, That's probably what could happen this year. I can't rule it out. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of porch pirates. They're called, right? Yeah, we are. Maybe we'll hand out NFT awards. Or no, no, I'm anti NFT. You're anti NFT. That's I'm right. I'm anti NFT. <laughs> it seems like uh, just a uh, a laundering scam set up by the mafia. Does the mafia still exist? <laughs> I'm sure it does. All right. I mean, there's different mafias. That's true. If you've been watching uh, Hawkeye, as uh, my wife and I have, we're, we're about a third of the way through. There's the tracksuit mafia. The tracksuit mafia. The tracksuit mafia. They come from the uh, the little country called tracksuit. That's that sounds like the Mean Street Posse. You know what it kind of does, except the Main Street Posse. If you recall, Dan, because I'm I've been binging WWF Attitude Era, as you know, uh, they were about the uh, the sweater vests. That that's right. Yes, very prepping. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, if anything, the only person I remember wearing a tracksuit very often at all was probably The Rock. The Rock. I mean, from time to time, yeah. when he wasn't wearing designer shirts, he'd wear a tracksuit. Yeah, that, I could. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So know your role, shut your mouth, and let's get started on the judges, sir. Let's do it. What do you want to start with? I mean, let's just, let's start with the best judge, our top judge of the year. Our top prize. Yeah, for, for the couch side judges, I think this is actually the top prize we're leading off with, right? Yeah, I, I would imagine so. All right, so the top judge of 2021, we kind of talked, uh, we obviously talked a lot about judging in our last episode from 2021. We went over the data and everything like that. With all that in mind, with all the talking we did throughout the year of all the judges, the standout judges, the uh, less standout judging that happened from time to time, what would you say, or who would you say, is the top judge of 2021? This is easy in my mind. You know, showing up and fighting a lot earns you a lot of points for fighters' standpoint. Sal D'Amato shows up every week, has the most uh, fights judged throughout the entire year. Easy By a wide margin, me. large margin even. <laughs> Sal D'Amato is my judge of the year. Okay. Any, uh, I mean, anything else you want to say about Sal? Or are you just going to name a name and then we're going to move also, on? Also, I mean, he's, he's, as we mentioned, dozens of times. He's the gold standard. He's still on top of his game. There's a reason he's there every single week. And, and getting the main event assignments every single week, too. It's because he's the best in my eyes. Absolutely. So. Without question, Sal D'Amato is one of the best judges in the world right now. He was my top judge last year. I believe he was your top judge last year as well, right? Is it repeat for you? I have no idea. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what we did for 2020. That's impressive. You know what? <laughs> Super impressive. We're, we do a lot of research on this show, obviously. Dan does at least. Uh- <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's see if we can find what we had last year really quickly, sir. We'll look down. I've done a little bit of searching. I have my top judge of last year, and it was Sal D'Amato. I think it was probably mine the same as well. So. <laughs> Oh, man. We Obviously, we're all about history on the show, you can tell. Uh, but you know what? And, and no disrespect to Judge D'Amato, who I, I hold in high esteem. He's still in my my top three, who I would want assigned to the title fight. But I would say if I'm going to assign the strongest judge of the year, it has to be Junichiro Kamijo. You, sir, are UFC only judge who, because of Nevada, he doesn't really travel as much. He does travel, but they haven't been traveling as much. He has worked. So many fights this year, more than last year. He he really got in a lot more rounds than any other year. And not only that, but I think he was in more sync than ever with his fellow judges, which is a, I mean, it's not the standard, but I would say it's probably a very good standard. If you're working as many fights as you are alongside the Derek Cleary's, the Mike Bell's, uh, all, you know, all the top judges out there, if you're working alongside them and you have as low a descent percentage as Judge Camillo did this year, working more title fights than ever, or, or five-round fights, I should say, just to be extra clear, because we did have a couple of non-title fights, and I don't recall if he was uh, judging on one of those or not. I can't remember off the top of my head, but Judge Camillo absolutely deserves recognition this year. What a fantastic year from this judge, uh, who's been doing it so long. He did uh, He did do a great year, uh, great year judging. Uh, he's been great. I think he's kind of... Uh... He's earned that spot of being, you know, the main event guy for for the most part. Absolutely. I mean, he he always was in a lot of these. Like, that's that's not new. But just to see him get more assignments than ever. I mean, he was second. He ranked second this year in five round assignments uh, among the, you know, the traveling judges. Uh, He's not a traveling judge as much this year because, again, he's really working only in uh, the UFC Apex uh, and T-Mobile arena cards. But, again, still managed to get just a, a phenomenal number of rounds and a phenomenal uh, descent percentage, which is really good. I can't remember a single round from him that I was off the top of my head really disagreed so strongly with at all, too. So that goes a long way, uh, in my book at least. Not not that my book is the only one, but for these awards, eh, matters a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of things where my book is the gold standard, so. Uh, I mean, there are, but really not. Sometimes, for, for Sometimes, the most part. Except yeah. for never. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just being a jerk. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I, you know, obviously we're split this year. Uh, there's a split decision as to our top judge of the year, which uh, it seems kind of uh, counter to the point, right? Yeah. I see. But I, I think it's fair to recognize both of these individuals. Uh, you know, there's so many strong judges this year, um, but I, I would like to focus specifically on Judge Camillo for my purposes. And you obviously focused on uh, Judge D'Amato again, both worthy uh named nominees this year or winners this year, I should say. So congrats to them. Uh, again, the judgey is in the mail. <laughs> don't ask how i got your address i just you know i'm just guessing star maps just throwing it out yeah yeah, yeah. star map exactly <laughs> right, let's move on though i think you know we can move on from the top prize and uh, i guess we'll just move steadily down we're gonna close with like our worst category right uh, i guess oh well, that's not really no, our I'm kidding. worst category it's, just it's not our worst uh, i'm just teasing but no our our, our next one because you know i think we'll front load it with kind of the more specific to our show awards you know judging refereeing uh, that kind of thing. We'll, we'll do a lot of them up the top. Our next award, most surprising scorecard. Now, surprising doesn't have to mean bad. No. But it's something that got you and I in particular peaked. 
for one reason or another. Yes. What? Why don't? Well, you know what? You should start. You let off last time. Let me lead yeah. off. I am going to start with the first round of the first fight that took place in front of a live crowd in 2021. After all that time without a big live crowd, big live crowd, I should say, because we did have some fans returning earlier in the year. Round one: Ariane Carnalossi and Liang Na. They had that incredible two fight, two round fight, right? Awesome. Round one, we get the scorecards in, and we see two ten nines <laughs> for Liang and one ten eight for Carnalossi. <laughs> they just skipped over the ten nine <laughs> for Carnalossi. That is a uh, yeah. That actually that that definitely piqued our interest because I mean it it was. I I actually didn't believe it. I actually had to kind of confirm that what I was seeing was not an error of some sort. I I truly I just wanted to make sure things were right. I I you know sometimes when the UFC posts their scorecards uh, because they're they're using a essentially a template that they're just filling in from the actual commission scorecard, mm-hmm. presenting it for their own purposes. It does make it a lot easier for people to read at home, but transcription errors happen. So I said, okay, I'm going to reach out to someone and see if we can figure this out. Sure enough, they confirmed, yes. Judge Chris Lee dissented two points off <laughs> of Judges Alice Downs and Derek Cleary. Now, everyone jumps on Chris Lee's throat. The minute you hear Chris Lee go in an opposite direction on a round. But I say, you know what? Obviously, it's our show. We talk about these things. Let's let's figure it out. And I watched it over again. And honestly, I understood. I understand both <laughs> disparate scores it's like the weirdest thing it, it was it was i mean it was a strange uh strange one but i mean uh, i guess you can get there i guess uh a little bit it's kind of, it, it happened he did, this he time did get there so i you know i i really don't necessarily i think i think i you and i both ended up siding on the uh 10-9 carnalossi yeah i uh, think score yeah for I, that fight or I, for that round i should say before Conor Lossi got yeah, the win around too. Pretty much I thought Nah was winning that round until the final 10 seconds. So, I mean, I, I don't see how I can get a, a three-point. It, it was it so. was tough to see the swing go that stark. Um, yeah. So, I, I think the eight is a little strong. But mm-hmm. I also don't think it's something that is crazy. And that's why, for me, that's the most surprising scorecard was that one. But again, <laughs> not a is... negative. Just, just, just absolutely, I guess, bizarre. Just, yeah, you know, you, not not in a bad or a good way. Just very strange. You don't see that every score. So we know about my massive judging spreadsheet, right? right. 20,000 entries in it. Um, that includes three per per round, of course. Uh, so when we're really talking about it, we're talking about 7,000-ish rounds uh, are in this spreadsheet. I put yellow as a little indicator as to highlight the little uh, the cell if it is a, a descent of any kind, whether it's um, – so not just a dissent, but just where where there's disagreement. Mm-hmm. If it's a 10-8 and the other two had 10-9, I put yellow on the 10-8. Okay. If uh, one judge went in the opposite direction as far as the round winner, then I put the dissenting, the out uh, score in yellow. If they're two points off or something strange like all three of them have different scores, red. Because okay. I'm like, what? <laughs> I want to find that quickly if I'm scro- scrolling through. Yeah. Not a lot of reds. You got this one. This one's a red. But again, not a bad thing. Just a very fascinating thing. I, 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 I learned a lot from that round. I think. Yeah, it did. Crazy round. What about you though? Uh, you know, enough about me. I think we've, we've probably exhausted the topic. What is your most surprising scorecard of the year? I mean, it's hard to hard to say. Uh, yours isn't the most surprising scorecard, or how I would even find something more surprising in in this year. 
other than that. So I really don't okay. have I don't have a surprising scorecard. I have more of a, a surprising moment, which okay. which I believe uh, will bring us to our next award. Actually, oh, uh, you're doubling, you're double dipping here. Well, I'm kind of. I think I'm gonna lead you. My my. Uh, oh, you're gonna steal my thunders. That's what you're. Doing. I don't want to steal it, but I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say, listen, and then and I'll let you take. I'll t- I'll announce it, and then I'll let you take it from there. Okay. Okay. My most surprising. I guess judging moment was an actual judge defending his scorecard in public. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's definitely surprising. <laughs> and and yeah, you're right. You are stepping on my toes. <laughs> so we know that's J- it's JJ Ferraro uh, defending yes, his score. Yes, JJ in, uh, Joshua Ferraro, uh, Houston-based judge. Uh, pretty much only works fights out of Houston and Humble, which is in the suburbs. My cousin actually used to live there. Um, we don't see him travel throughout the state. We only see essentially. Fury FC when they do cards there and when UFC comes, which is lately it's been uh, inordinately often for some reason. They won't go to Dallas. They won't go to San Antonio. They're like, nah, Houston. It's got to be Houston. We just got to go there for the judging. They got that huge stadium in Dallas that they could fill with a massive heavyweight fight, and they just don't want to do it. Yeah. I mean, normally I would say that, but at least right now, I I almost appreciate the restraint shown in not doing a super spreader event. But, I mean, we have super (laughs) spreader events every football game, so... What, what's the point anymore? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would like to see them just go to Dallas, something like that. But to get back to the point and to get back to your point, why, why don't you say in particular just why, before I move into uh, what I'm going to talk about regarding this round, what what was so surprising to you about it in general? A little deeper. You don't see it, especially not in the public. No, no one ever takes to Instagram or Twitter to say why they scored around the way they did. Uh, it's I true. Mean, it just opens the door for more for more uh, backlash, I would say. And I, I think he... And that's why all the judges pretty yeah. much don't do it. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they turn their scorecards in and then, you know, talk amongst themselves. You know, the, the public doesn't need to, really need to know why. I mean, so uh, that that's pr- pretty much, yeah, it was just kind of shocking to see that. Right. And, so, and to see it backfire so badly. So Yeah, no, it did. Um, and, and that does, like you said, take us into the next category, which is worst judging moment. This is obviously... A negative connotation, not just surprising, good or bad. This is this is purely. Um, I think I think this category essentially goes to the low point in judging uh, for the year, um, and it's not necessarily that uh, Judge Ferraro's score in round three of Rafael Fiziev's win over Bobby Green was such a bad score. I don't think it was a good score. I think it actually probably ranks in the the bottom five uh, ish scores of the of the year mm-hmm. for the UFC Bellator PFL level that we tend to focus on. Um it's definitely a, a strong contender there. Um but I don't think it was the most egregious. What's crazy is again, just like you said, Judge Farrar goes on there and he defends it and not only defends it, but he goes in there, explains poorly with poor backing from the criteria saying he went to, you know, different levels of, you know, the, he, he thought it was a, a tie in terms of the striking. I mean, when judges start thinking about and I think this I'm probably speaking for the the top judges that are typically working these and more or less set the tone for the way things ought to be judged on and at least the North American scale of what I'm talking about here, um, but also I, I believe on the worldwide scale. I don't think I'm reaching too much to say that. Um, they're really not looking at rounds that have, you know, 30, 40 strikes landed on either side as something that's going to be effective striking, effective grappling, dead even. They're really looking at staring contests 
or rounds that went 30 seconds and then there was a foul that ended it. Now they got to go go to the, the scorecards for a technical decision, which we have from time to time. Right. And yeah, that's not what happened here. This was a fight that had a lot of stuff happen. It just did. Interesting fight. So to see them, so, to see Judge uh, Ferraro go to this level, and, and we're kind of rehashing some stuff that we talked about earlier this year, but I think this is the time to, um, to see Judge Ferraro defend his score in such a way, in a round that, and I'm pulling the numbers up right now, Bobby Green landed 66 strikes in a five-minute round. 66. We don't get to that number very often. Now, you want to say, okay, maybe the accuracy of UFC stats Sometimes you could kind of question it. Okay. He landed a lot. I, I, mm-hmm. It doesn't take a genius to watch that round and say, wow, Bobby Green's landing a, a metric ton of strikes throughout this round. Rafael Vizier landed 43 strikes in this round. They threw a combined 200 strikes in this round, 200 dead even in five minutes. And you're going to sit there and tell me and tell us, and especially tell the most respected peers around you that you sat there for five minutes and you couldn't determine which fighter landed more effectively? We have a 23-strike differential. Are we saying that Fiziev's strikes are exactly the same percentage stronger than Bobby Green's to be able to overtake him in that round? Because that is what we have here. And then we're talking about aggression and cage control and that kind of thing. That's where he's going to. He's going to go to those levels of criteria, which later on uh, in in a meeting that Judge Ferraro participated in and spoke about, uh, and along with some of his other respected peers, spoke about. They asked some of the top judges, hey, how often do you go to this? Well, basically never. I don't think I've ever really done it, says some of the the best judges in the world. Yeah, that was. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it reeks of, I had a bad score, and I'm trying to find justification for it. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah. Is it right or wrong? I don't know. But I would say all that, and then you add on top of it, where he throws Adelaide Bird, another judge, another official who does the job, who sits in the chair, you throw her under the bus, who's worked way, way, way more fights, not just this year, but any year. She's been doing it a long time. Now, you can say maybe that's good, maybe that's bad. There's a lot of people who obviously will detract from Adelaide Bird. Well, I sit here and say that Adelaide Bird is one of the top five, maybe even top ten judges in the world. I would say probably not. I don't think she is. I don't think she's as bad as a lot of people think. I think she, from my understanding, she works very hard at trying to understand and learn more about the sport and that kind of thing and keep up with it. She's not purely a boxing judge doing MMA, and I respect that. And it's unfortunate that Judge Ferrara does not because what he said was really crummy. Yeah, that was uh, really strange. Even Big John was like, dude, keep your mouth shut. What are you doing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Big John doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut. No offense, but <laughs> let's face it. The man hasn't met a microphone he didn't want to talk into. Yeah, he does like talking. And even when, when you hear that it's, from him, he's literally paid to like... talk over fights now. <laughs> but yeah, uh-huh. like you, at least someone said what he really ought to hear, which is just stop talking. Um, But he couldn't. You know what the funny thing was? Throughout that whole day, and I'm speaking with other officials and, and, and we're all just kind of dumbfounded by like the fact that this kid just can't just stop talking. <laughs> he just kept going. <laughs> He's finding all new people to answer to. I'm like, guy, you just got to turn off the notifications. And, yeah, Put he, the he, phone down. Responding to anyone and everyone, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think probably the most frustrating thing that I think came out of this was it's like a good and a bad. One, I think it's good that a lot of people showed 
even when they completely disagreed with this judge, and no one sat there and said, oh, yeah, I could see his argument. Like they, they at least kind of understood where he was coming from when he explained it. But he explained it poorly. He explained it wrong. It, yeah, it was. So it was. It kind of spread him. But I do think it shows. I, I would like to think it does show, and not that necessarily all the commissions are going to be listening to this, but I think it does show that people just want to hear culpability one way or the other they would prefer i I think it would be best if at least it was coming from someone who could justify it in a way that people can understand but um when you have things like this you get people to fly off the handle and say stupid stuff it definitely doesn't make commissions more likely to be like yeah it's okay we understand you should do that more often talk to people they're like nope social media is media get off the media (laughs) it it makes me understand more about Adam Rohrbach's policy. You know, you can come in and sit on our meetings, yeah. but you can't directly quote because our guys were not trained with media. We don't have media training. Yeah. So No, absolutely. And I, I, obviously, I'm media. I, I'm, I work for the New York Post. I am media. Um, and I get that. Um, and that's why, you know, basically all my interactions with judges are off the record. You know, no, no, one, uh, no, no one really goes on the record with this kind of stuff unless mm-hmm. they come on our show. So uh, it's unfortunate. And, and I think it does hurt um, judging on the whole, judges on the whole, because I know that there are officials who would be willing to speak uh, if granted the opportunity. Not everybody would, and that's okay. Um, I think there are some really incredible voices that would be much more welcome uh, more often, and I think could be able to do amazingly wonderful things for educating people in the sport and helping the sport grow. But we can't have that because we have people like Judge J.J. Ferraro who say stupid things like this. Yeah. So <laughs> definitely the worst judging moment of the year. I, I'm obviously very passionate about this. Uh, I sure you know, I yield my time. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, sir? What is your worst judging moment? Can you top me? Um, I don't know. I mean, you were very, very passionate about that. Uh, <laughs> so, you. I mean, Rory McDonald losing – to Glayson Tebow round one on two scorecards in a round which he, he clearly won. Yeah, with uh, the round one we're talking yeah, about, Yeah, right? just round one, which, I mean, it, essentially it, it cost him the fight, so. It did cost him the fight. It didn't cost him uh, a spot in the PFL playoffs. It could have. I mean, there's no reason it, it couldn't have other than things just happened to work out okay, and he had gotten a, a, a good finish, or he did in his first fight, so he got enough standing points to um, make it over the hump. Uh, into the PFL playoffs. It did affect matchups, though. Um, and that is unfortunate because it could have changed the way things went. Maybe things happened in a little different way. We're talking about a tournament, uh, well, a season, and that leads into a tournament there in which the winner wins $1 million. There's like high stakes here. Yeah, it sucks. It, it was a really, I mean, I think that's that's one of the times we actually, I looked at our outline, we we started this with PFL robbery. Yeah, so. we did. Um, That we don't like to do that very often, but I think it was warranted here. I really do. Absolutely, I think, yeah. I think there is some sort of robbery going on there, I mean, I, and I hate the word. I really do. I don't. I don't think it should be used very often, but I think in this case, it really did kind of occur. Eric Cologne had the right scorecard. He, he yeah. scored it for Roy <laughs> McDonald. Called the right card. Yeah, so yeah, he's not lumped the, in with this. Uh, with... Yeah, the two judges were uh, Dave Torelli and uh, Donnie uh, yes. Carolick. Yeah, right? I was. I was trying to. I was trying to. You know, confirm that because MMA Decisions has it. Uh, Cardo Uso. Urso, and Dave Torelli, not well, Donnie Carole. So I don't I know if that's... I have a very uh, fast and efficient way of uh, finding that out. Okay. As I pull up the scorecard shared with me as media by PFL earlier this year, so I can view the actual scorecard. They don't transcribe. They do their real scorecards here. So um, I would have whatever was shared uh, with MMA decision. Indeed, it was Carter Urso. Yes. 
And I believe I said Donnie Carolee last week on our uh, judging data show when I was talking about this round. So uh, a a very, very big apology to Judge Donnie Carolee for that. Did not deserve uh, his name to be mentioned here. This was Cardo Urso who gave the wrong score. All righty. So yes, Dave Trelli and Cardo Urso. Unfortunately, you win the judgy for my worst judging moment. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, you know, I would say that's one of the worst rounds. Uh, and actually, my spreadsheet is reflected correctly, too. But I did want to make sure with the uh, the heart there and look at the actual scorecard itself. I guess I just convinced myself of it. So, again, most profound apologies to Judge Carolee. Did not deserve that. And actually had a very high descent, per- uh, a very strong descent percentage this year, uh, working almost exclusively with PFL rounds in, in, my, uh, in my sheet here. So, worth noting. Mm-hmm. But I would also give an honorable mention if we're talking about um, poor scorecards themselves. Uh, I think we probably have to highlight the one from Patrick Patlan. <laughs> yeah. Another Houston based judge. Um, <laughs> this is the theme. In the Lando Venata and Mike Grundy fight, that which was... took place the first time they went to Houston this year, um, there's really no case to be made for Grundy to have won. That fight. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, sir. I I don't believe so. Uh, honestly, I, I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. I wasn't aware we were going to um, revisit this, but I do remember that we had very strong feelings uh, towards that man. I happened to watch that fight recently, um, but I also went back and listened to what we said, and yeah, we were not happy with that one. Uh, there were two rounds, rounds one and round three, uh, in which Patrick Patlin was the out judge. Uh, round two, actually, Marcos Rosales was the out judge, but I thought that was that was entirely reasonable that that was a kind of a swing round uh, either way. But yeah, rounds one and three, um, Mike Grundy didn't win them. <laughs> so I would say for me, if I'm going to pick a fight, that's actually probably the the most egregious of the scoring because it's actually two <laughs> rounds that you messed up. It's like, what, what fight were you watching? But uh, there were higher stakes in the other one. So that that's why yeah, I would definitely agree with you. That, yeah, that certainly is, is a worthy... Um, distinction for the worst judging moment uh, yeah uh, from from what i remember i think grundy did absolutely nothing but but fail to take venata down yes so yes in fact i believe you that would might have been a direct quote from something you said on our okay show. yeah so so uh, obviously the brain's working okay a little there, bit sir. you you have a better memory than i do apparently <laughs> except for what you did last year in terms of who was your best judge <laughs> you ain't got that one fights points fights stick out a little bit better Right, once once I, once I get you know triggered with whatever the trigger is that gets mm-hmm. me there. Yeah, I, uh, I I will say I I'm almost positive we both said uh, Judge Salvamata last year. Yeah, I probably would have. Yeah, but anyway, let, let's move on from that category. Let's actually I'm going to change up the order just a little bit of what we have in our outline and let's go to best referee. I I think we're uh, uh well I I'm definitely on Jason Herzog for that. I thought he did a fantastic job. No, Jason Herzog's job. the worst. No, he's the best, of course. <laughs> Herzog is, uh, he's aces, and he really, I think he really made that leap this year. I don't, started, I don't started think there t- was a he, I mean, he was starting getting more main events. Yeah, I so. think we did start to see a little bit more uh, high-level assignments, but if you if you go by what he says on uh, on Twitter, and, and he is one of the, uh, I'd say one of the best personalities on Twitter, when, when he does uh, decide to come on there and respond to people after fights, he, he can be snarky, he's funny. Apparently, he's a very smart man, too. I've heard he's an engineer. Uh, which is what my son wants to be. So uh, <laughs> maybe I'd be thrilled if my kid ended up like Jason Herzog. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> Speaks taking, a bunch of languages. Taking points from people. Enough, obviously intelligent and can work a fight. He's got the fleet, fleet feet, right? Fleet of fleet, foot. Fleet footed or something like that. Is what yeah, whatever, whatever it is that Anik calls him. Anik loves his nicknames for his referees. 
<laughs> yeah, he does have some good ones. No mm. nonsense. Uh, Mark, Smith needs one. Mark, Mark Smith. Smith Mark Smith. Mark Smith. Is... He's he's another solid judge. Uh, excuse me, uh, a solid referee from this year. I think he had a very strong year as well. He's another one with a crazy background. He's a pilot. Yes. So, like, he's a what is it? A fighter pilot, right? He's he like was a fighter pilot, but now he now he he's like a commercial airline pilot for like Southwest out of Dallas okay. area. Oh, right on. Yeah. So. I think uh, my understanding is a lot of uh, former pilots like that and in, in the military end up going on and being uh, commercial pilots yeah. as well. I, I'm like, I'm not knowledgeable in that realm, but I'm pretty sure that's what Listen, happens. If, if I owned an airline, I'd, they'd be, you know, the people that would be getting top, top call usually. So Sure, they have more flight yeah. experience than, <laughs> you know, guys flying a Cessna somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, Jay, uh, as you mentioned, Jason Herzog will come on, you know, and he's kind of critical a little bit of his... Uh, when he's not being funny, I, this past this one the one event with uh, Diego Ferreira getting finished by uh, by uh, Matus uh, Gamrot with yeah. that thing, he 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 says he can be a little bit better on that stoppage. I know that got a little bit of criticism, but I really didn't see that much wrong with it. So I didn't think it was terribly uh, like a, like a bad stoppage or anything mm-hmm. like that. When I think of uh, Jason Herzog and and situations like that, I think back to uh, some of the early days of our show. Actually, Dan, when we we're talking about going all the way back to the Glover Teixeira and Anthony mm-hmm. Lionheart Smith fight in which that fight, uh, I, I, I swear to you, uh, I want to say it was around four of that fight should have been a 10, seven. I, I think that uh, judges probably would want to look back at that one and say, maybe this is where we actually start calling. Um, yeah. I mean, I think was that the round where I have to watch it again, to be fair, it, that he hands him his tooth that, that, uh, what's your, yeah, uh, that's, that's where he loses the tooth. <laughs> he hands it to Jason Herzog. He's like, here, hold yeah. my tooth, please. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I were very critical, and I, and oh, I would oh, go, yeah. I would go as far as to say, um, baseless in, in some of the things we said. I, I think if, and I, you know, it's out there. I'm, I'm not going to delete it, the episode. You want to go back and listen, fine. Um, but I would say some of the things we said, we were ignorant. We were um, saying things honestly without base. Just, we're just talking. Pretty much out of our butts. Yeah, pretty much what the entire MMA community does. Yeah, right now. Yeah, I, so. I think I, I'm gl- I'm very glad that you and I have learned so much from so many officials we've spoken to uh, in the last year and a half since then, uh, who've really helped us really gain perspective, um, and I think also helped solidify how um, this platform that we have, and it's it's a small platform, but it's it's a platform that's out there. We we are reaching people. We are trying to speak with an authoritative voice. Um, when it comes to this, we I think we acknowledge we're still amateurs and that, you know, we've never actually trained. I'm I say best. this a lot. Um, but I think now would be a good time as we highlight Jason Herzog as the top ref of the year to say the things we were saying at that point in that episode were not fair. Yeah, not, um, not fair. He, he was culpable. You know, he admitted some culpability, you know, in a roundabout way um, on social media. And I thought that was. Um, really a classy move for him to to say that. But also I, I feel that the corner, especially learning a lot more, the corner, yeah. there's, there's a lot more blame we, yeah, in letting we, that fight go as it did. Yeah, we should have given the corner their fair share. Uh, if, little, I think we did, than... but I think we were probably too harsh. And I think realistically, a referee's job is to stop it if they're not fighting back and they can't intelligently defend himself. And you could probably make a case that there is at no point where Anthony Smith is not intelligently defending himself until the end. Yeah, and I think re-rewatching it, a lot of some of those Glover punches weren't all that strong. He was kind of just in. I mean, from what I remember, I, I, do, I, do you think Glover was maybe taking a little bit of uh, mustard off? It could have been. 
I mean, I don't think that it's hard to say that about the guy who is now the greatest, you know, the greatest, but the the top 205 Mm -hmm. pounder in the world, um, (laughs) debatably, depending how you feel about uh, Vadim Nemkov and and Yuri Perhaska. But he is the champion. It's what he is. He's the champion. Um, So it's hard to question that. But, you know, he seems like a decent guy. I'd like to think some, you know, maybe if I was in his shoes and I saw I was knocking people's teeth out and it was it was just so lopsided. I'm Mm -hmm. like. Maybe I don't have to kill the guy. I see. I'm I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> or may, or maybe Herzog saw. Wow, this guy is with it enough to know his tooth is out and to hand it to yep. me, so he can keep it well, and, I, and maybe get repaired. So it's like he's still with it. I think that was the point to to stop that fight anyway. No, but I mean, I think it was like a, a thing of like, wow, this is a beating on another level. It, it was a next level beating, and that's why I start talking about ten seven mm-hmm. here because you're someone who's still intelligently defending, but is so thoroughly being beaten. It's like that's when you're talking about 10-7, if you're going to put the language on the books for a 10-7, this really ought to be what it's for is is yeah. around like like the one we're talking about. But mm-hmm. again, to get back to Jason Herzog, me a couple about last year, we were wrong. We were wrong. But this year and we're right. the best rapper that we have right now in MMA. That's, that's how I feel. Congratulations. But let's circle back uh, to the top of the docket we have here, sir. We're going to go to, you know, some actual uh, fight awards. Uh, KO of the year. Let's start with that, sir. What was yours? Let's just go. You go first. KO of the year. Uh, this was easy for me. Uh, I probably crowned this KO of the year the day it happened. You probably uh, did. I don't remember. But Yuri Prochaska over Dominic Reyes. Prohaska. Get the name right if he's going to be the champ. Prohaska. Okay. The C is Prohaska. silent. The is. C is silent, everyone. Prohaska. I think it might be like one of those like Haska. Yeah. <laughs> so, a little bit, a little bit of extra. Ooh. That elbow that, I mean, it just. It crumbled Dominic Reyes. Defense didn't exist in this fight. Yuri, his best defense is fight. his offense. So it, this was this was a great fight, and I'm excited to see uh, him fight again this year. It was like the exclamation point at the end of a really fun fight. So I think I can see how that one makes it even more fun, right? Yeah, oh yeah. But it was also a sick elbow. <laughs> what was what was your uh, KO of the year? I when this happened, I I found it very hard to beat because of. Uh, I'll just say it. Kamaru Usman, knockout win over Jorge Masvidal in their rematch for the welterweight title early this year. Um, right cross just slammed yeah. Masvidal down. And let's put some perspective here. Not only is this a title fight, but this is a title fight rematch from less than a year ago when Kamaru Usman realistically, other than you know probably some of the most money that could have been gained from a fight at that point, he had nothing to gain legacy wise, basically nothing. There was a small margin to be able to actually top the fact that he won. Now it was a, you know, the one that they had earlier in 2020 midway through 2020 boring fight, right? Boring, thorough, one-sided win. It, it was it outside was of the first, like, out, first like know, two was, minutes of the first round. After that, it was over. Right. And realistically, anyone who wanted to sit there and be like, man, Watch what Jorge can do if he can get a distance and he can start throwing hands. Watch. He's going to floor Kamaru Usman here. He's going to be the champ. And Kamaru's like, oh, yeah? <laughs> so he goes out there and he knocks dude out. It's literally the only thing he could have done to completely obliterate any potential for any sort of criticism. He had such a small margin to get the best result and he got it. Also, And he's the best. I mean, that was honestly the whole... The whole thing there, I, I think, it, it has the total package for me. It wasn't like the most spectacular, um, let's say, move necessarily. I mean, it's a right cross. But I think that when you add the context, it makes it really impressive. Yeah, that does. And also, if you've seen this one in slow motion, when he lands and you just see the mist coming off of Jorge's head, 
it's just splattering all over. It's it, it's, it's a cool really, visual. It, yeah, it's very cool. So yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, yours was probably more spectacular. I think mine was more uh, just impressive in in terms of who he got it against and how. Yeah, I think I think what what hurts me there is I, I totally didn't believe Jorge deserved that shot. So, and I, I, I've said that a numerous amount of times. So, I I wouldn't necessarily disagree, but look, he beat the guy at essentially the only way anyone thought that he could win. He beat him that way. That's that's kind of like it's like the opposite of what GSP used to do. GSP would take advantage of your weakness, however possible, and he would mm-hmm. crush you with it. Yeah, Kamar Usman. Took pretty much the opposite approach. He's like, nah, I can wrestle you. I can do all that. I already did that. I'm gonna knock you out. And he did. Yeah, that that that, that is an impressive element of it. So it's super impressive. Uh, and it that's the type of thing that's gonna define, I think, Kamaru Usman's legacy when when all is said and done. He is, is this type of thing. Um moving on though, submission of the year. Uh you know what? I'll go first with this one since you led last time. Anthony Hernandez. Who? Oh, he's the guy who submitted Adolfo Vieira with a guillotine <laughs> pretty much the last thing you'd expect to happen absolutely the last thing anyone would expect to happen it, it, it absurd so. yeah realistically obviously what we saw in this fight was Adolfo Vieira was winning and got super 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 tired and ended up still more or less losing the round I think he lost on two out of three cards I don't believe he lost unanimously the first round but uh, by the second round he was so spent that a world champion absolutely fantastic Brazilian jiu-jitsu player in MMA who submitted pretty much everybody he was fighting got tapped out. It was yeah. wild. They, they say poor cardio turned your black belt into a white belt. And that certainly good, happened. So. That's what <laughs> turned a world champion into a white yeah, belt. That... I, I still don't think I could have submitted him in that scenario if I had managed to survive. <laughs> I don't think so. I think he would have found a way to beat me. Uh, and I, and I am a blue belt. I'm not a white belt, but, uh, Credit to Anthony Hernandez. That's like you can't take that away from him. That's that's a feather in your cap. That's impressive. Yeah, that was. What about you, Andre Muniz over Jacare? I another I can... one that is. It, it's not necessarily like surprising in in the sense because Muniz is, has a credible game too. But it's Jacare. It is Jacare. The way it happened. I mean, there's a gross audible to it of his arms yeah. just snapping, and he's like, "Yeah, I guess it's over." Tap. Yeah. Um. And I, what I like about this is that this is becoming kind of a signature type armbar from Muniz. Just finished yeah. Eric Anders with the same one. I mean, he could did, it be like did. the Joker uh, team? A less impressive opponent. No offense to Eric Anders, but Jacare's Jacare. I have a lot of respect for yeah, Jacare. Jacare's a legend. So Another world champion uh, jiu-jitsu player who, who found incredible success in MMA. Just So, yeah, that was that's not my number one sub of the year. And not only that, he retired Jacare with that. That's the last thing that we saw Jacare do in the cage. That's kind of sad. That, Look, if you want to believe uh, Sean Sheehan, uh, MMA retirements never last, so maybe we'll see. Talk <laughs> Jeremy Horn. <Yeah>. Hey, <laughs> honestly, you could point to so many uh, men and women out there who say, oh, they were done. We didn't see them again. Who thought we'd see Misha Tate again, right? That, yeah, that's. And then she came back, and, and you know, probably for my money, she's the comeback athlete of the year, uh, comeback fighter of the year. Yeah, we don't have a world war for that. We don't have that. We don't have that. Yeah, well, we just give her it. We just give her it right now. Sure, why not? Impromptu award. You get a judgey, Misha. Congratulations. It's in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) All in the mail. Uh, You know what? And another one that this isn't necessarily a fighter award. It's kind of like between 
the, or I guess it's totally outside of the, you know, fight-based award and the you know, officiating-based awards that we often given out. We gave this out last year. It's our unsung hero, which really can be anybody in the sport who deserves more pub for what they do in this sport. Who's yours, Dan? Mine is Big Marcel Dorf. Uh, if a fight is being broken, the announcement, it, it's most most likely it's coming from him. Does a lot of good work. His his document that he updates almost weekly, if not daily, of all the upcoming fights uh, is a big resource to me. So he does, you know, he definitely breaks a lot of fights himself. Uh, he also aggregates some fights and gives credit credit where it's due, uh, which is appreciated in the MMA space. We don't always have that happen. <laughs> There's a lot of people who don't understand what you're supposed to do. He does. Marcel does. Um, yeah, I, I think he's a fine choice. What about you, Caposa? Oh, you gonna tell me I'm wrong? I give that to him every year if I want it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that. Honestly, guy... he's like an easy default pick. How does he watch so many fights and still? Go I to don't bed? know how he watches so many fights. I would love to know how he balances his life out. My understanding is that uh, when it comes to Saturdays, he pretty much plans his life around it. But everything else, like, kind of has to fit in. If okay. I if I, if I understand correctly of what he said on social media before, oh, it fits in quite a bit. So where's he sleep? I don't know <laughs> when or how he sleeps. <laughs> Or if he sleeps, he may not actually be a human, although I know he's gone to, you know, Nas concerts. I, I believe he's somewhere on Long Island. Okay. If, if, if I recall, um, which is really, I mean, realistically, we're not too far off from the guy. I'd love to meet him for pizza. Caposa, if you're listening, let's go get pizza. Like when Omicron's gone. Yeah, pizza's pretty awesome. I do love pizza. Uh, I'm sure he does too, because he's from Long Island. I'll give pizza. Who on Long Island doesn't like pizza? You got a lot. I mean, you, you, the people who are told to leave. <laughs> We're, we're in the, I mean, where we live is like the pizza capital of the world. I, I mean, so it really many kind good, of is. Good, no offense to so. Italy, but I, I'm pretty sure that the uh, New York metropolitan area destroys Italian pizza. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, for I'm sure. sorry. Probably. Maybe does. I'll get in trouble for that. I, I got <laughs> cousins in Italy. Maybe they wouldn't like that. I don't think uh, Alzolino, uh, if anybody knows him, he's, he's sort of the uh, unofficial Italian MMA guy. He sort of retired from it this year or this past year. Um, but yeah, and, and he's also a pizza aficionado, but I will say, I'm going to say flat out, our pizza wins. Sorry. For sure. Not sorry. I think um, so. But, but the focus, again, Caposa, everything he does to, you know, let everybody know about what's going on in the fight world. He shares so much out there. It, it's very selfless. He does have a Patreon. Uh, I hope everybody uh, who appreciates his work does some form of contributing to his Patreon. He, he really... Deserves it. Just even even a dollar or something like that. Go do it. Go do it. What are you going to do with a dollar? Buy a slice. A $12 a year. Yeah, you buy a slice. And so actually, you know what? The dollar slices in the city, I think, are going up to like a dollar fifty or something. Oh, yeah. I thought I heard that, <laughs> which is BS. That's BS. Although I do like the, the dollar pizza. It's actually, there are places. So if you're in, here, here's just my two cents, having worked in Midtown Manhattan for many years. Um, if you're in Midtown and you desire pizza, and you don't want to go somewhere that has actual good New York pizza, just go to the dollar places. They're they're much cheaper than what you'll find anywhere else. And they're pretty solid for what they are. Yeah, it's it's better than you, you can know. probably find better even in that area, but you're gonna pay like five dollars more. Don't do it. Most likely. Yeah. Or just like I said, go to go to the outer boroughs. Mm-hmm. You know, go to go to lower Manhattan. You can find good pizza there too. <laughs> in fact, if you're in Brooklyn, shout out to uh the one that my wife and I love around where she grew up. Pizza wagon. The pizza wagon. Never heard of it. Pizza that wagon. Right. You haven't been, right? Never I've never taken it. you out to Brooklyn, right? 
No, I mean, I mean, it's kind of by choice. It's kind of like a crazy. It feels like it's across the country to me. To no, get there. it's a half hour. Half hour. Maybe. I'm going to drive you out there when, when Omicron calms down. Okay. We're going to get some pizza, all right? All right. Pizza all right, wagon we'll it is. It. I think pizza just won the judgey too for best food. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. You know what? Let's let's um let's create a new one for uh top pizza. All right. And the winner is pizza. Pizza wins. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. We're giving them out left and right. We're not adding these for next year. We're not going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> this is borderline silly, sir. Um, let's move on to top prospect. What yeah. This one was easy for me. I think it's Casey O'Neill. You know. Interesting choice. I don't hate it. Why? She comes comes into the UFC, gets three finishes in a year. She fought three times. Uh, respect. So I think she's young. She's 24. She's a force to be reckoned with. So What do you see as kind of her ceiling? If you're calling her a top prospect, I imagine there's something that you kind of foresee beyond this, right? Do, like, do you think she has championship potential? Uh, eventually, at some point. I mean, you you, can, you get three finishes. You wouldn't put her in there with Valentina Shevchenko now. Not today. Not no, not no. today. But I no, mean. That's not what I'm implying. She took out the other Shevchenko pretty easy. So mm-hmm. I think she's just a force, and it's gonna be, and she's young. That that's one of the big, uh, the big things for her. She came in, you know, the the spotlight didn't get to her of being in the UFC. She got the three finishes, and that's where I'm at. Okay. What about you? You know what? I had a change of heart on what I have put on our outline. I do not want to even name who I had put down because I don't believe they really qualify as a prospect. Okay. Um, and I think that was an oversight on my part. Is it the one that's there now? It is the one that's there now, yeah. Okay, because that was... Okay, I was. I had some questions about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, mm-hmm. that's a bad one. But I will say that my pick for prospect of the year is Alex Pereira. Okay. I I love what he can potentially bring if he's able to round out his game, uh, because he is an absolutely phenomenal kickboxer who, as we all know, beat Israel Adesanya in the kickboxing world and not just beat him, but he knocked him out really only about a little more than f- close to five years ago now. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I can get behind this guy uh, being a top prospect here because he's new yeah. to MMA. He is new to MMA. So, I mean, he's, he, start, he turned pro in 2015, but... He went two and one, uh, like in the first six months, seven months or so, and then he didn't fight again in MMA until uh, late 2020. So we're we're talking about a guy who now he won his UFC debut. He beat Andreas Mikhailidis uh, in New York when I was there, second round win TKO with a flying knee, another really good finish in a night that had a lot of really good finishes. Um, he's now four and one. He's not you know a spring chicken necessarily. He mm-hmm. is. 34 years old, but I think if you're four and one in MMA, I think you do qualify as, as a promising prospect. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think I do. I, I agree with you there. Yeah. So I'm glad so that's my pick. Um, yeah, that, that's a solid pick. So what about breakthrough star? Actually, you know what? You've been going first lately. I'm taking the lead. All right. Mike's for me. Uh, <laughs> and it is Cyril Gann. Can you argue with this one? Like, I mean, even if you have a different pick, like this is a hard one to argue. Uh, I do. I also think mine's pretty hard to argue, and I, I think Sarah Gann has had a great. I mean, he's he's interim champ. If that counts for anything, um, it, uh, it it he's the number one contender. That's what that's how I like to view interim champions. Is just you're you are now the official number one contender. They can't take that away from you unless they strip the belt. But you really only get your belt stripped if you refuse the next fight. Yeah, that that that's that's kind of true. <laughs> So it's 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 like a slightly more official way of saying that someone is the number one contender. Um, but having said that, I mean Cyril Gann, he, it's not that he came necessarily out of nowhere, but he 
he is someone that realistically, I think we'd almost normally be talking about him as a top prospect um, because he's still very, very new to MMA. Yeah, if, if he wasn't in position to fight Francis, he would most likely be prospect category. But he, he's he been became, great. So. He became the number one contender to the heavyweight title slash UFC interim heavyweight title uh, holder three years and five days after his MMA debut. Solid. That's, I mean, what is, how is that not a prospect? Um, but I think definitely qualifies as uh, breakthrough star of the year, not just because he became the champion, but because he won three fights this year. Uh, another active guy. I think you can get behind an active fighter, right? I do. I mean, now that we're, you know, we're kind of saying three fights is active. Uh, I understand. You're, yeah. You're, you so, would prefer the bar to be higher, but it is what it is. Yeah. I'm a, I mean, I'm on Kevin Holland's level of how often I want people to fight. Kevin Holland fought three times this year. Yeah, but he put five the previous year. I understand. So. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just to rattle off the wins, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, it wasn't necessarily the most impressive fight, but he he did what he needed to do to win it. Alexander Volkov, I think this was actually a little bit more impressive uh, event, a win, even though you could argue with possibly coasting here and there. Um, but the way he fought Derek Lewis uh, to win the pseudo championship in Houston, in Derek Lewis's backyard, I mean, he came at him. He was fearless. It was the Cyril gone. I think we we've wanted to see where he was. Yeah. Like, I think you you pointed out he's earning that cage time and getting used to being in the cage uh, as long yeah. as the other fights went. And then this one, he went out to prove a point. This so. this was the year that yeah he he logged a lot more cage time. He really you know if you look at his record, he fought into the the third round two times, went to a decision once. Um, but again, we're only talking about the guy who now has ten pro MMA fights. He you know he's got some. Uh, professional kickboxing Muay Thai experience, Muay Thai specifically uh, experience, but you know he's only thirty one. He's still young, and I mean now what we have is a very credible challenger to Francis Ngannou that I don't think anybody really saw coming at the beginning of the year. How is that not a breakthrough star? Oh, of course, he's. I mean, that's when it comes to heavyweight MMA, the top of the top is awesome. Yeah, as, as no, absolutely, and then so, there's a huge drop. Amazingly huge super, drop. Super, super, super huge drop, <laughs> except for some of the prospects. The prospects can be interesting. It, it's, it's getting a bit more interesting. It is. I think it's. I think we're starting to enter a phase that could be a pretty interesting period of heavyweight MMA again. It has its ebbs and flows. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, who's who's your breakthrough star then? Islam Makachev is my yeah, breakthrough. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, he started the year ranked 14. He's now ranked 4. Uh, and a lot of people think he's in line. He deserves the next title shot. Uh, I don't know if I'm one of those people yet, because um, I do want to see Benil Dariush and him fight, which I think they are scheduled to fight. So you don't think and your breakthrough star ought to fight for the title? Well, because that's just such a crazy division. Like, Come um, on, man. No, I get it. <laughs> uh, he had three subs this year. Uh, Drew Dober. That was quite the impressive arm triangle choke. From oh, top, of course. Top you want the guy with three subs, you'd pick a guy with three subs. <laughs> Tiago Moises, he, he rear naked choked him. And then that Dan Hooker Kimura was pretty nasty. I'm actually kind of shocked I didn't pick that as my sub of the year, but because it was a shoulder lock. But hey, um, you do those shoulder locks. <laughs> um, I, I thought he had Got kind of a thing for him. He's now on everyone's radar as Khabib 2.0, pretty much. So that's what everyone's saying. I mean, I, look, there's a lot of similarities. It's hard to ignore them. I mean, the guy. He considers Khabib a brother, but um, I think he still is his own guy. I think he fights a little differently. I think he's looking more for the sub than Khabib did. Khabib just wanted to smash. Smash? Smash. 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 <laughs> he smash. Yeah, that was good. I, I, yeah, I, <laughs> there is only one Khabib, but I will say Islam Makachev, definitely, I look at him as someone who really could end next year as the champion. Very possible. 
it's 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 hard to argue and yeah he certainly broke through this year. I think people really started to understand who he was. And he was also all out all of 2020, so it uh yeah, kind of I mean, easy to uh, that was unfortunate because so. a lot of he had some fights fall through. Yeah, I mean that was maybe one day he will fight RDA. No, no, oh, no, no, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> it, RDA is destined to never fight two men: Islam Makhachev and Conor McGregor. Okay, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> no matter how much we all tried. I'm not saying he's scared. I just don't think it's gonna happen. Some look, Khabib never fought Tony. We never got the Ferguson fight that we all yeah, thought we would. Unfortunately. It, some things just are not meant to be. <laughs> but, uh, you know, n- next category, sir, what do we got? Best event. That we do. My uh, my best event of the year is the one that just passed. Had 10 finishes most of the year. I think finishes uh, earned big points. That's why I went. That is at UFC so, Vegas 45, right? Yes, it wasn't a numbered event. Well, I mean, it's a Vegas numbered event. It's a Vegas numbered <laughs> event, yeah. But We're almost at the same number of pay- as pay-per-views. Derek Lewis uh, knocking out Chris Dawkins. That one stung a bit, but I mean, all, the whole night there was a lot of subs on that on that card. It was fantastic. You do not like to see your former CFFC guys lose. No, but I, I mean, CFCC doing huge things. That the Fury grappling that they just had was fantastic. People loved that. It I was, didn't get to watch it, but people loved it. it. I mean, it's on Fight Pass. It's so much fun. So mm. it is nice to see that in in kind of our neck of the woods. It's it's you know it's Philly slash South Jersey, which is yeah. you know not where we live. We live in North Jersey, mm-hmm. but it's not too far. Respect. What uh what was your favorite event of the year? I was torn. Um, USC two sixty eight was fantastic, and I was there. Uh, and a lot of people are calling that one the the event of the year, and it really did have some fantastic fights, especially after the first couple. It just kind of was like banger, 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 banger. UFC 261 has to be it for me, though. That was that was when they finally went to Florida. Like I said, we, we alluded this to to this earlier with uh, Ariana Karnalasi and, and uh, Liang Na. Mm-hmm. The fans were so into it. They were so thrilled. Um, and you felt that. And you don't normally feel it at UFC events. I think there's, in recent years especially, I think there's a lot of complacency and a lot of the woos, you know. Woo! <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a woo and, fan. Oh no, I'm anti, I'm so anti woo. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let let Ric Flair do it. That's fine. But if Ric Flair is not in the house, I don't need to hear it. Oh, you like can bring Ric Flair in and he could do it. Actually, that would be cool. <laughs> but and I'm not I'm I didn't really watch a lot of WCW, so I don't really have much attachment to him. But anyway, not the point. This crowd was just so into it. You could tell how thirsty they were for a return to live in-person fights. Even though, I mean, realistically, it only been a little more than a year that we hadn't had this. Um, I think there was just such anticipation for it that the, there was just a, a rabid feel and the fans were just so in love with it. So I, that was cool. It was cool to experience that. And and so many of the fights delivered. We had some fantastic moments. We had we had championship fights, you know. Three title was, fights, right? On that event? I believe it was three. Yeah, it was um yeah, it was Kamaru Usman. That was the Jorge Masvidal, of course. Yeah. Uh, John Wei Lee knocking out or getting knocked out, excuse me, by Rose Nami Yunus. And that was obviously a, a very big contender for knockout wow. of the year as well. Yeah. Uh, and Valentina Shevchenko uh, getting the lot, very spectacular win over the, um, Jessica Andrade, who I thought, I think, I don't think anybody sat there and said, well, Jessica Andrade is definitely going to give Shevchenko a good fight and maybe even win. But I think people still viewed her as like, okay, maybe this is like an interesting matchup. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't. It was phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, so many good finishes. We had, unfortunately, Uriah Hall broke uh, Chris Weidman's leg. Uh, that one came full circle, huh? Jimmy Crute got hurt. Yeah, it did. Um, 
And it's not karma. Anyone who says karma is, I'm sorry. If that's a, Wait, what's you're the, a what's, what's if you karma? Say it's karma. I mean, what is Chris Weidman because he done? because he broke Anderson Silva's oh, leg. I'm sorry, no. it's not intention. I've seen people talk about karma with that, and it's BS. And I really no. don't like it. I do not really? appreciate that because because he celebrated after the guy didn't realize he broke Anderson Silva's leg. Like, he wasn't celebrating his breaking his leg. I don't think Anderson Silva took it that way. Oh uh, yeah, so why yeah, should you? Anyway, I uh, that's I don't I don't want to go too. Late. Such a nice. I mean, there is, it was really just a fantastic event on the whole. Yeah, awesome. That was the takeaway. So that's where I went. UFC 261. Um, <laughs> that was the first one where we had fans. It was all like, ah, right, it's gonna be a super spreader event. Doesn't seem like it was, but pretty much Florida's just a super spreader event. I think so. Is what it is. <laughs> Oh man, and I think we're we're getting kind of near the finish here. It's yeah, been a good well, show, I hope. And uh, I, I, I've been the, having fun. I've been having fun too, especially thinking about pizza and pizza wagon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> top five fights of the year. I don't think we have to go deep into each of these because it could take forever. But uh, I know we agree on at least the first couple. So Dan, why don't you say what our our pick is for five? Yeah, number five is going to be Edson Barbosa and Shane Burgos. That Great fight, fight was. Gray fight was a lot of fun, and it ended in such a strange way. It was like a little horrifying. I uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. It was, kind, I it, guess, scary. But looking it, back, it's not as scary now since we know the result. Well, to outline uh, exactly so, what it yeah. is for anybody who's forgotten, that was when uh, Barboza hurt uh, Burgos, and it looked like the the brain was on, but the body wasn't working anymore. It, it, he just kind of walked backwards and like was collapsing. It, it was yeah. very weird. It was kind of like he got knocked out, and he's like, no, I'm willing myself through it. And then it was like, not happening. I read it as more he got knocked out in the part of the brain that didn't separate him from consciousness. It just separated him from his functions. And that was weird. It was, yeah, that was. <laughs> it was wild. I, you know, I've spoken to Shane since then. I spoke to him, like, later even that night and and uh, briefly. And he was like, no, 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 I'm fine, really. Like, I know it looked weird, but it was, it was I'm fine. No, that's good. Yeah, I, we saw him fight again. He fought in New York. He got a win there too uh, in his in his home uh, in his hometown. So good on him uh, for getting that one. But yeah, incredible fight. Uh, number four, you already talked about this. I don't know how much time we have to spend on it, but Prohaska and Reyes. Prohaska Reyes, the sea is silent. Um, <laughs> like I said, I think I mentioned it before. Defense was not a priority. It, in this it one. really wasn't. So. This was kind of in a sense like a Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner one type of but but i think with more um evolved skill oh yes oh for sure yeah they they weren't just throwing haymakers absolutely. the whole time yeah so no nah, this, this was a very interesting fight <laughs> in, in from that perspective but also just fun as hell oh great yeah great fight especially round one i mean round one we're talking about i, mean, I believe it's round I mean, am i thinking of round one or round two which one was the the more wild of the two obviously the finish was round two I thought two was was not one problem. I mean, he, they were hurt. Both both guys got hurt in each round. I think it was like, just it was just fight. madness. Yeah. All right. Top three now, uh, Dan. Why don't you? Because this is now. I know we start to differ here. What is your top three? My, let's, let's, you know what? Just give three. Three would be Holloway and uh, Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. Great fight. Yes. High level skill. Had the suspense in in both of it. Both guys were kind of battered at the end of it. So. Uh, this was just a really, really fun fight. And when fights are fun, that, that they get a lot of points for me. Yeah. Now, I so. mean, that's kind of why we're watching, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. You know, obviously there's there's an appreciation of technical skill and it's sport and everything like that. But realistically, what do we get into fights for? We like to watch people fight. Yeah, we, we want it to be fun, suspenseful. Maybe Yair could win this type deal. 
you know, Holloway coming and out. And I think he exceeded expectations Absolutely. for himself. Yair did. For sure. I thought it's it was funny. A- there was like an arc for, for Yair where I think people expected so much of him and it almost became hard for him to top because they put him in there with Frankie Edgar. That was a bad move at that point. He wasn't ready for a Frankie Edgar fight. Um, but ever since then, I think people have started sleeping on him. It was, you know, he had a lot of, you know, issues with the UFC, like why he's kind of showing up to these fights. And I, kind of, I think they briefly cut him, right? Or they like separated and then they really didn't. I don't know. It, I'm not sure. I don't want to no. get deep into that. But <laughs> the fact is, he's here now. And I think now people have just started sleeping on him and they need to stop because even though he lost, he gained a lot of shine in that. Oh, fight. yeah. That- he, not a lot of people are going to beat Holloway. It's pretty much just Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah, I think we still all want that Makamedov in a Rodriguez fight that we never got. Oh, Magomed Sharipov. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I forgot the Zabit. second beat. Forgot the second. Yeah, Zabi. I should just call him Zabi. He has a very long name. Just yeah. call him Zabi. Yeah, I just call him. That's what everyone does. Yeah, or Zabist. <laughs> but we may never see Zabist again. It doesn't seem. I, I know. I believe there's a medical issue with him. Oh, and that's okay. unfortunate. Yeah. Um, it, it's possible we'll never see him fight again. So that that would be uh, a very unfortunate thing because he, he was an uber-talented kid who really just needed to round out his cardio a little better and be able to fight longer. Otherwise, uh, he was phenomenal talent. But I already mentioned the uh, the winner of the fight that I had as my number three, and that was the featherweight champion, Volkanovski. His win over Brian Ortega earlier this year, or near the end of last year, I should say, was especially round three, phenomenal. I mean, that round where... You're just seeing Volkanovski in in like the tightest spot. It, I still and don't find know. his way out. <laughs> I still don't know how he he got out of that. It was a wild uh, guillotine to, to get. I mean, it was a couple of submissions, right? It was, it was there a triangle and a guillotine? triangle, a dars, a guillotine. It, it wasn't wasn't just that one attack. It was no. It was. I mean, I mean, Ortega was in hail mary mode, where that's how if he's going to win, that's how he was going to win. But and he typically does win in round three so, by submission. Yeah, when he wins those fights. <laughs> so yeah, that was a shot. Credit to Volkanovski just being crazy determined not to tap and and fight out of it and still not go to sleep somehow because he was not in it for a short period of time. He was in it for a, quite a while. Yes, he was. So yeah, credit to him. Yeah. Uh, so that's my number three. Uh, moving on to two, I will I will say that my number two actually was Holloway Rodriguez. I had this just a little higher up okay. on my list. So that's where I ended up siding there. Uh, what is your number two? Number two might may be shocking that it's not my number one because it's a lot of people's number one is mm-hmm. Gaethje Chandler, which was <gasps> a crazy firefight. An audible gas from the crowd. <laughs> that that was fun from from bell to bell. So they just tried to kill each other, and and Michael Chandler has I think won over so many people who thought he was just a Bellator guy coming over. Uh, that but the really funny weren't thing is, like, with him. That was always an unearned title. I mean, yes, he was the Bellator guy, but like he's doing what he was doing in Bellator. He's having these wild fights. He's had a bunch of wild fights in Bellator. Uh, We've even talked about a couple of them on our show. But I'm telling you that Bellator banner does something because they do not promote these fighters the way they ought to or not the way that they deserve to be. Some of these fights. Well, I know you're not you're not a big Bellator guy. And it's, I think it comes down to the marketing. They don't make me want to watch the fights. Like, I, I, I hardly they, ever see anything for Bellator. Part of the problem that I think Bellator has had, and I don't want to go deep into this necessarily, because we're trying to get near to the, near the end of our show here, yeah, right? We're, we're closing um, in. We're closing in. We're, we've only got one major category left. Um, but Bell, succinctly, I think Bellator's major problem is that they've had an identity crisis because over the years they went from, you know, they had all the seasons with the tournaments and all that stuff. Um, and then, the, you know, once Bjorn Rebney was ousted and they switched it over to Scott Coker, Scott Coker pretty much just loaded up on freak fights 
you know, they had yeah. Kimbo, the late Kimbo slice against data 5,000 in that absolutely bizarre uh, fight that, uh, I mean, shoot, sometimes, sometimes it's hard to watch that one and be like, is this what was the beginning of the end of Kimbo's life? It was like, it was such a weird fight. Oh, it was like yeah, almost crazy. dangerous. Uh, like, I, I don't, I don't know how, I don't think something like that really ought to have been sanctioned the way it was. It just wasn't cool. Um, but you know, the, and, and obviously we had, we had with the uh, hoist Gracie against uh, Ken Shamrock, like 20 years too late. How? I, I mean, there was a fully locked in rear naked choke that wasn't finished in that fight. <laughs> they just, they, the problem is what I'm getting at is that they've had an identity crisis. They've, they've built themselves on these weird things. And I think they've been slowly trying to dig themselves out of it. But I, I feel like filter has been around a very long time. They were, they're around a lot longer than pride was. I really? a whole lot longer than WEC, a whole lot are you, than you're not saying force. you're not saying before you're just as a total no, no, time I'm not saying before total they've had existence. more events and they've they've right, had a longer uh, lifespan yeah yeah a much longer i mean that's inarguable but i, I think they've been around for 12 13 years now right i was just confirming that you didn't yeah you know, yeah no 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 because no. i would have been shocked but, to hear that but yeah i mean you're talking about all these reinventions like eventually people are going to start losing attention and even though they've picked up some very interesting prospects i think over the years and and you could say right now that AJ McKee is one of the best. I don't even know if he's really a prospect anymore, but he's he's a really fascinating talent in mixed martial arts. Uh, no oh, matter yeah. what banner he's fighting under, very. Um, and I think they have some with these Grand Prix. So it's, they do. They do. And, and this is the, obviously so. the latest reinvention. Is now they do the Grand Prix, and that's. <laughs> I mean, they've got some talent elsewhere, but realistically, I think a lot of us are really tuning in for the Grand Prix. Yeah, well, let's, that's uh... that's what drives them now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's year. my little Bellator offshoot. Yeah. Number one fight of the year for me, it's it's Gaethje Chandler. Um, it obviously it's kind of the stock answer, and I I cannot even understand why people wouldn't necessarily put this number one. But I had the added wrinkle of it being a fight that I got to watch from about fifteen feet away. Oh yeah, that had to make it. That was really cool. Um, just to be in that arena, experience uh, Madison Square Garden, just going nuts over these guys that were thrown down and, and delivering on everything that we anticipated for them. Uh, short of maybe a finish, but I don't know that. <laughs> I, I I don't think we need one. I think 15 minutes was totally awesome. Uh, fight we've had fights like this before. I, I think that fights adds that to have it. been fantastic. You know, I think you think all the way back. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you a deep cut of a f- 15 minute fight like this that was a war that people love. And when I say deep cut, I mean kind of old. Chuck Liddell, Vanderlei Silva. Yes, that was a that was a wild fight that was building up for years. Right. Yep, and, so, and I think it delivered on all on all accounts. Uh, I wonder if even newer MMA fans have even heard of this fight or you know what, even understand it. When I watched it, I was like, "Yeah, UFC is going to smash Pride right now." <laughs> That's how I viewed. It. I viewed it UFC versus Pride. I think it was like, it was like the last event of December, like 2010. If I'm remembering, no, it was correctly. older than that. It was older than that because I than I that. actually wasn't watching the sport really at that point. Oh wow! I think okay. Chuck might have retired in 2010. Okay. And that didn't last either. Misremember. Yeah, I mean, G- I think GSP <laughs> beat Matt Hughes on that card too. That was a lot of. T- I got I got hyped for a lot of fights back yeah. then. It was a different time being a fan. It was a different time. <laughs> it, I'm very nostalgic for that time. I, I can't lie. I really, really am. Um, I would love to see, and it's, this is never ever going to happen. But I would love to see them be able to go back to a time where there are fewer uh, events and they are more condensed to include the top fighters. And then, you know, maybe you, you create levels, like maybe you go to some sort of European style, you know, European soccer style where you got like A, B and C, 
You know, maybe you mm. fight your way up to ABC. I, I'm just spitballing. This is something I came up with on the fly. I learned it's probably that a terrible me. idea, but I'm just thinking. I learned that about soccer through Ted Lasso. Oh, I don't watch Ted Lasso. Everybody loves <sighs> oh, it. Oh, my God. And I'm always the last guy to like you. I, I almost like as a point don't watch these things when everyone's watching. Listen, but you know what? This show is right up your alley. Right, you will, you I, would I, not be look. I do like um, uh, Jason Sudeikis too. I actually really like him. I think you watch this, you'll be like, "Wow, I should have watched this all the time." I uh, do that all the time with shows. Uh, by the way, the, uh, Vanderlei Silva, Chuck Liddell was the end of the year two thousand seven. UFC seventy nine. Ah, I was close, give or take. You give were take a few years, you were. and you were right. George St. Pierre, Matthews. That was when St. Pierre uh, beat him with an arm, arm bar, bar for the interim. Welterweight championship. A lot of interest. The number one contender belt. But realistically, I think most of us still had a look at that as well. That was probably when he became the champion again. Because mm. as wild as it was that Matt Sarah got that win and you can't take it away from him, it was kind of a lucky punch in a sense. And the beatdown that Matt Sarah got because of it in the second fight was uh, was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, and I, I, we I all know of... who the better fighter was. There's yeah. no doubt about who the better fighter was. It's just the guy that was the particular night. <laughs> if he's going to win. Any out of 10, that was his one out of 10. Mm-hmm. It's probably less than that. Um, but yeah, so my that was my number one, Gaethje Chandler in a roundabout way. What was your number one? My number one was Volkanovski and Ortega. That, yeah. That hey. was the Fair fight choice. that had me like, oh my God, oh my God, he, he's got him. I, there's no way he's going to get out of this. Oh, he got out of that. All right, the triangle, he's never getting out of this. So you were in the moment. I was I was all, all over for subs. Mm-hmm. I was like, he if he subs Volk, this is going to be sick. And there's better uh, there. stakes for this one than, than my fight. I can understand that. Well, I thought this one had pretty pretty decent stakes, right? I mean, Gaethje was, was almost certain it, it propels him to number one contendership. Right, but we're talking so, about the actual championship yeah, that that's, you're talking yeah, about. You're you're it's you're very true. different. And and not only that, if Ortega wins, that opens the door for Max Holloway. There's like a ripple effect that, that kind of opens there. Yeah. We don't necessarily have that here. It's, it's kind of a weird thing, although I, you probably still make the argument Holloway deserves an extra because no one else does. Hey, yeah, 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 there's no other argument. I mean, there's so many good fights that we're leaving off to. I mean, that, there are two fights involving Corey Sandhagen that went five rounds that I could easily put on here. Well, you could put Corey Sandhagen as our knockout of the year, too, with the flying knee on Frankie Edgar. Oh, for sure. That was sick. But I mean, because it, it was against Frankie, I didn't want to put it. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I know you. But, you know, you know I'm actually kind of glad that we didn't pick Jan Sandhagen because everyone else is, and they're all parroting what the commentary said. This is the most technical fight we've ever seen. <laughs> and it's like, would you say that if the commentary didn't say that? And I, I kind of don't think they would. So I have, I have the added wrinkle of having only watched that fight without the commentary. Okay. I actually have no idea what was said during that fight. Yeah, they were they were just because I watched it in the car, and my wife hates listening to <laughs> non music in the car, which essentially is anybody talking. Uh, she doesn't like it. She, I I would probably not be able to play my own podcast in the car because uh, she wouldn't want to hear. It. You can play the intro. <laughs> uh, has music. Yeah, I can play like the first thirty seconds of the show. Okay. Um, thanks for that. But yeah, I, I listened to I watched that uh, fight with sound off and everything. I thought it was a very impressive and interesting fight. I was I was into it. Um, but it wasn't fight of the year. Here's, it was just a good. Here, it was just a very good fight. It, it was a great fight, but it was missing the elements that I want in a fight of the year. There was no mm-hmm. doubt who was going to win. There was no suspense that Corey Sanhagen even had a shot as the fight was okay. going on. And those those are big things that that weigh it down for me. 
What about Sanhagen Dillashaw though? That was a fun. I think fight. that was a little different scenario. That that's different. I mean, that was back and forth. So yeah, I, I would actually put that as a uh, much higher. Like that's that's the, probably the hardest one for me to leave off the list. You know what? I almost put Max Holloway, Calvin Cater on here just for the fact that Max was above and beyond impressive. Well, that's probably the performance it, of the year. But it, yeah, we're we're so, starting but, to get bloated with yeah. our awards now. At this point, we're giving out pizza and stuff. Oh yeah, let's 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 hit the last category. We've been going on a while. That's true. We got. Uh, thanks everybody for sticking around. Uh, you, remember, your awards are in the mail, um, <laughs> or the, but they'll probably get stolen. It's just the way it works. I'm sorry. Uh, fighter of the year. Let's close it out. Dan, female fighter of the year. Let's start with with uh, the impressive women of the, mixed martial this arts. This was easy for me. Valentina Shevchenko. Okay, why? Uh, fantastic when she fought. The two fights she had, she was completely dominant, completely in, in control the whole fight. There was never a doubt, and she got both finishes. So. That's uh, that's where it is for me. Sure, I can understand it. No, no question. It's it's you know we're only talking about a very small pool of people that can really even be eligible for it, especially in the women's divisions because there's so few of them compared to the men. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, can't go wrong. Yours, Rose Namajunas, and and I'm actually kind of torn on it because as we talked about on our show after Rose's victory, uh, her second victory of the year over Zhang Wei Li. I kind of walked away from it thinking that Zhang won the fight and rewatched it, and I still kind of feel like there's a better argument to be made for Wei Li than there is for Rose. However, it didn't go that way. We have to trust the judges, and it, it honestly, it was close enough. It could go either way, no problem. Rose winning the belt back, Rose defending the belt in the arena that, honestly, she's not from New York. She really doesn't have any ties to New York, but New Yorkers love her. I, I, I've spoken to a lot of people from New York that just, there's some, some people I speak to that are like, they don't follow MMA very strongly. And they'll say, Rose is my favorite fighter. And that always piques my interest. I'm like, why? Like it, not that it couldn't be, but it's just like, why? And they're like, I just, I, I, I like her. Yeah. Rose. I think they just, they like what she's about and they like the way she fights. Hard to dislike. Rose Namajunas. And I love that her nickname is to- a total contradiction to the person she is. Oh, yeah. Thug Rose. <laughs> like she's anything but a thug. She outside of the cage. O- outside that, of the yeah. cage, at least. So Yeah. All she wants to do, she, she was talking to me about when I interviewed her earlier this year. She's like, you know, I had this dream actually just the other day. It's like the first time I'm talking about it. It's weird. I want to make an Earth ship. Do you know what Earth ship is? No. It's like a... It's kind of like an ecology home, I guess. Like, a, okay. I, don't, I don't know how to describe it. It, it. it kind of reminds me of where Luke Skywalker lives on Tatooine. Okay. That's what it looks like to me. Like, <laughs> it's just like a but, pod, like, I guess? I guess kind of. I don't yeah. know. But it, it's essentially, it's, it's, you know, it's eco-friendly. It's that kind of thing. Sustainable, you know, environment-friendly, that kind of thing. And she wants to help, like, children. So it's, it sounds okay. great. She wants to do great stuff. Um my runner-up, I should point out, because I, I think it's it's fair to recognize a second, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you don't want to say second best fighter, but I would say another fighter who deserves recognition, Kayla Harrison. And look, there's no way sugarcoating it. Her level of competition was not good. It just wasn't. <laughs> but she treated them like they weren't good. She did not fight down to her competition. She fought them like almost with disdain. She didn't. She would never say anything disrespectful to, to an opponent. She was classy in every way. But when she got in the cage, she was there to let you know that these women don't belong in here with me. And she treated them yeah, as such. And she destroyed everybody on her way to winning a second consecutive season and thus million-dollar prize. So she now is a two-time millionaire in MMA. You know how many fighters can say that? Not many. Not, not that not many. No. no one in PFL can say that. I mean, uh, no one in Bellator, I should say, can say that. Uh, PFL, we do have. Ray Cooper the Third has now done that as well. 
um, in addition to a couple other fighters. But um, yeah, Kayla Harrison, it's it's hard to go wrong with her. She's basically got the world in her palm. The only thing that kind of holds her back even is the fact that uh, Juliana Pena beat Amanda Nunes. And as Dana says, at least Dana White says, that essentially that killed what was going to be the biggest fight in women's history. And now they have a new <laughs> biggest fight in women's MMA There's history. always Ooh, a new Dana. biggest fight. All right, yeah. Dana, whatever you say, just keep yeah. playing the same cards. But but speaking anyway. of Juliana Pena, she was my runner-up. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Uh, hey, going from basically, you know, she lost her fight last year, right? Yeah, also, and she, I mean, she didn't beat Sarah McMahon all that impressively. I mean, she got no. a finish, but she was in trouble that fight. Uh, She was in trouble first round against Amanda Nunes, but the magnitude of that win really just kind of propels her, so that's where she is. But yeah. Va- but Valentina's dominance is, is why she's number one now that's so. fair it's hard to argue with that um and then our last award the uh male fighter of the year uh mine's kamara usman yep it's it for me it's the only choice it's three fights uh he fought uh gilbert burns finished him out weathered a little bit of uh adversity in that first round came back got got the big finish knocked out jorge masvidal and then we already talked about that one, yeah. And then went another five rounds with Colby Covington, who I I believe is his full five rounds this time. He he's uh his nemesis kinda, but in, in a different sense of like he's just toughest challenge. So he is. And actually I believe you and I both yeah. awarded the fight to Colby Covington, as much as that kind of makes me gag a little bit. <laughs> uh when we when we went over the show. Um I'm very happy to see to the judges on this one and just say, yeah, you guys got it right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But I mean, three wins, the level of competition he's fighting. I mean, you want to say you don't think Jorge should have been in there a second time. Totally justified. I, I'm kind of okay with you there. I think Gilbert Burns was a credible challenger and an interesting dynamic there with the kind of the former training partner kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Plus you have him have to beat Colby Covington again. He's now beaten twice the two most vocal challengers uh that he's had in front of him so the biggest talkers the biggest chirpers uh maybe they won't shut up but they ought to fighter of the year yeah no no uh no argument here so i i think we're watching a potential like the, i think he's gonna go on as long as he wants to keep fighting long enough to i think we're talking about like a potential top 10 all time maybe even better i think um, i fighter. i think i said he has potential to be the goat so you said that last year if i remember so. early last year We'll see what uh what brings. We'll see what the future holds, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the runner up for me is Charles Oliveira. It's it's hard to deny him, but Kamar Usman is just he's got to get it. But yeah. Char- Charles Oliveira, Do Bronx. He came. He more or less came out of nowhere too. I mean, he had a, a very good performance last year against Tony Ferguson. I think there was anticipation that hey, maybe he could be a credible challenger uh, for the championship. But I don't know how many people thought he would go on to not only win it when they didn't know he was going to be fighting anybody or you know it was going to be Michael Chandler. Um. Not only that, but he went out there and he beat Dustin Poirier, who everybody, especially me, I I can't hide from it. I thought that Dustin Poirier was the best uh, lightweight in the world, and he showed that uh, <laughs> it was definitely Charles Oliveira. Yeah, I mean, once once Oliveira beat Ferguson the way he did, everyone was like, "All right, we're gonna finally respect this guy." It was almost <laughs> it was like uh, in is like in the Matrix, which I now know you watch because I made you watch it. It when uh, he's like he's beginning to believe. Yeah. And then he became the one. I mean, I heard the new one was awful. Um, I actually didn't mind it. Okay. Not to go off the handles here. We're not going to talk about the Matrix sequel that you didn't watch. But <laughs> um, I, I liked it enough. I understand why people wouldn't like it. I totally do. But I was I was happy enough with it. Yeah. But anyway, Charles Oliver, great year. 
Uh, he was your runner-up too. Exciting to see what what the future holds because a lot of people are still writing him off as like he doesn't deserve to be the champ. So nah, stop doing that. So, he he's he deserves to be the champ. Whether you think he'll leave next yeah. year without the belt or with or without the belt, yeah. that's another like, question. Feel but he is he, the just, unquestioned absolute best 155 pounder in the world. Barna, yeah. let's see what he does against uh, Makachev this year or Michael Chandler. Or excuse me, not Michael Chandler. Uh, Justin Gaethje <laughs> or Justin Gaethje. Thank you. He's gonna fight more than once though, because he's not Volk. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see what the UFC wants for him. You know, they want more than one fight. They don't want more than two, though. <laughs> That's true. I can't <laughs> even argue that. And that is it from us. I think this might be a record for our show length. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we had a lot of fun in 2021, and let's look forward to 2022. Well, before the fights start up again in a couple weeks, we'll, we'll do some some past judgments, maybe even revisit some past judgments that we goofed up early in our, uh, our run. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. See you guys next week. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for listening.